the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Inspiration. I can do anything. Education. Let's do this. And application. Oh, boy, this is going to be good. Welcome to Like It Matters Radio. Keeping us out of the water hazard with some truth therapy and teeing up solutions for today's big issues, here's your life caddy, Mr. Scott B. Black. Black. So welcome to the world of Mr. Black. Welcome to the world of Mr. Black. I am he. Yes, I am. You are you. And the time is now for Like It Matters Radio. Live in life like it matters. And I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, we got a great week in front of us, uh, in the radio, or on the radio, I should say, and in life. And you know, life is truly what we make of it. You know, I've been in the, the transformational leadership training, what human potentiality, whatever you want to call it, field for over 30 years. Uh, and I've learned a lot about T-shirts saying, you know, you can get all the T-shirts that say, you know, life's not about the cards you were dealt, but how you play those cards. You know, you see a, a clipper ship, you know, a big sailboat on rough waters, and it says success. Uh, success, you cannot control the wind, but you can adjust your sails. One of my favorite going along that same line of thinking is we don't respond to what is happening in us. Uh, I mean, to us, we respond to what is happening in us. See, this is the key. It really doesn't matter what happens to us. What matters is what happens in us. See, that is our power. And so many people give away their power. You know, my one of my favorite quotes, if you listen to this radio show, you've heard it hundreds, if not thousands of times. It's by Dr. Viktor Frankl. It says, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. And in that space is our power. It is our freedom. And most people have given away their power. They've given away their freedom. Uh, it's not from the government. Uh, it's not from our friend. It's not from our spouse. It is inside us. It is in our head. It is between the stimulus and the response. And so last week I did a show uh, called I See You But You Can't Come In. And I really want to expand on that. You know, last show, uh, I used the example of a Canadian immigration officer. Why not an American immigration officer? Because Joe Biden won't let American immigration officers do their job. So I couldn't even use that as a great analogy or metaphor. But the story I told was on an immigration officer in Canada where they allow people to come in or not come in. And once you get in, then they decide what you can do, where you can go, all those things. And, and so we need to be like that Canadian immigration officer, kind of like our immigration officers used to be before Joe Biden became president. And so today on Like It Matters Radio, I'm going to continue the conversation to talk about being the gatekeeper to our personal experience. If you think about this, nothing in life has any value except the value that we give it. 
It does not matter what happens to us as much as it matters what happens in us. We must remember that we are in control of what happens between the stimulus and the response, for that is where we find our power and our freedom. And now, story time with Mr. Black. The Power of a Whisper by Bill Hybels. The first acknowledgement in my book, The Power of a Whisper, went to my second grade teacher, Miss Van Solen. Decades ago, she was the one who taught a Bible story to my class of seven-year-olds about Samuel, a young boy who heard voices in the middle of the night. As the story went, Samuel would get out of bed, go find his mentor, Eli, and say, you called me? To which Eli would say, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. This happened three times, and finally Eli said to Samuel, Next time you hear a voice say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Amazingly, God actually spoke. He spoke a very important message to a young Samuel that he was to convey to Eli the following day. Miss Van Solen finished telling that story one afternoon just as the recess bell rang. The sound of that bell usually launched me from my seat and out the door in a matter of seconds. But that day, as all my classmates rushed out, I sat transfixed at my small wooden desk. I was glued to my chair because the nature of that story, a story of the king of the entire universe actually speaking to someone on earth, never less a little boy, very timidly, after all the other kids had made their way outside, I walked to the front of the classroom and said, Miss Van Solen, does God still speak to little boys today? She looked me right in the eye and said, absolutely, God still speaks. Just then, she reached in the top drawer of her desk, pulled out a slip of paper and handed it to me. She said, I've been keeping this here, but maybe you'd like to have it now based on what we were just talking about. I said, thanks, jabbed the folded up piece of paper into my pants pocket and headed outside to play. Later that night, just before I climbed into bed, I reached for those pants and pulled out the crumbled piece of paper. On it was written a poem, a poem I like so much that I decided to memorize it. The next day, I went to school. Once that afternoon's Bible story has come and gone and the recess bell had rung, Miss Van Solen caught me mid-stride as I rushed to the baseball field. Did you read the poem I gave you, she asked. I told my teacher that not only had I read it, but that I committed it to memory, a fact I thought might cause her to faint then and there. You did? She asked, shock, written all over her face. She challenged me to recite the poem, and I did. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, an open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer to thy call and to obey thee first of all. The look on Miss Van Solen's face when I finished my recitation was priceless. With a pride-filled grin on her face, 
She placed her heavy hands on my small shoulders and said, Billy Hybels, if you listen for the voice of God and obey it, I think he will not only speak to you throughout your days, but he will also infuse your life with great power. Since those boyhood days, I've repeated that little poem perhaps tens of thousands of times. And it has called me to new levels of obedience every single time. Several weeks ago, I received an advanced copy of the book, The Power of a Whisper, from my publisher. As I held the book in my hand and saw the near-final version for the very first time, I thought this entire thing traces all the way back to Miss Vandersolen. Right then, as the thought was still spinning through my mind, my assistant stepped into my office holding a printed copy of an email she had just received and said, Bill, you better sit down. I have some bad news for you. And the words formed on her lips said, your second grade teacher has died. She handed me the piece of paper, and as I held my new book in one hand, that disheartening news in the other, I marveled at the timing of life. My schedule was filled to the brim with appointments, but that day and the next. But God said, loud and clear, attend her funeral. I thought about it, prayed about it, and decided that's exactly what I would do. As I stood by Miss Van Solen's casket the following morning, I considered how one five-minute conversation with one caring woman changed the course of my entire life. Silently and reverently, I thanked her for the immeasurable impact she'd had on me as I drove away from that funeral. I rededicated to myself the idea of living with one ear open to heaven each and every day. Ladies and gentlemen, the right word at the right time will change someone's life. And the wrong word at the right time will destroy someone if they allow it. And we need to be our own Miss Van Selene and make that we are good stewards of what is going on in our hearts and our minds. And today on Like It Matters Radio, we're going to go into depth about how we can be great stewards of everything going on in our minds and our hearts so that we can be the George Bernard Shaw that we could have been. Welcome back to Like It Matters Radio. Radio, Like It Matters, inspiration, education, and application. And today on Like It Matters Radio, living life like it matters, we're really talking about the, the battle between the stimulus and the response. You know, the battlefield, if you have not figured it out yet, is in the mind. I mean, our the deep state knows that. The political c- uh, community knows that. Uh, the media knows that. Uh, why do you think we're being so manipulated? And uh, and people need to wake up. We are being manipulated. It's very clear. Uh, there is a narrative that's out there, and if you uh, challenge the narrative, they squash it. Why do you think uh, in a country that's always prided itself with freedom of speech, now we're okay with censorship? You know, it's like, uh, you know, if you I study the, the, the Quran and Islam, uh, and boy, in a lot of uh, uh, Muslim communities, uh, they cannot ask the, uh, the uh, iman questions about challenge anything in the Quran. I've I've heard of them getting slapped right there. You don't challenge the Quran. You don't. I mean, when they say anything about the Quran, people get attacked. And it always worries me that when you can't defend what you believe in, there's a problem there. And so you got to take a look at we're being fed a narrative. 
Uh, the narrative is all white people are evil and all black people are victims. The narrative is Republicans are evil, uh, hateful, uh, homophobic, uh, mis- misogy- misogynistic, all these things. And why is it said over and over and over? Because that's how we work. Because we believe what we hear over and over and over. And this is why it's so important to understand this concept. I heard this years ago, and it's always stuck with me. One of the keys to successful life is to consistently represent your experience in ways that support you in producing even greater results for yourself and others. Now, that sounds kind of weird, right? To consistently represent your experience in ways that support you in producing even greater results for yourself and for others. And what this is referring to is the way we frame things. And again, this is almost the second half of a show I did last week called I See You But You Can't Come In. Because I went through the basics of this and real quick at the end went through three of the ways to do what I'm going to be talking about. And I didn't really have enough time to, to go into great detail about the third way, which I believe is the most important way, which we will call reframing. But first of all, let me back up and let me remind you what a frame is. A frame is the way in which a thing is put together in established order to shape and to form. So reframing is to frame anew, to reshape. And that's why today's show is called to frame anew, because it is about reframing. You know, when I was uh, younger, I used to actually make a lot of money. Uh, That was uh, up until the last 10 years. Uh, And I used to collect art. And so I'd get a nice piece of art, art, pay a couple thousand dollars for it. Uh, and then at some point, I would take it into a framer uh, and ask them to reframe it, to just to shake it up, to take the picture and then frame it properly, put a different matting on it, put a different frame on it. Uh, so it really highlights the essence of the picture. And I got to tell you, I was always surprised that when I went back in, I dropped off my art that had a certain frame and a certain matting on it. And when I came back to get that same exact piece of art that had now had a different frame and a different matting on it, I was stunned. I, I, I can't tell uh, stunned <gasps> that it looked like a piece, a different piece of art. I, I, mean, I could see things that I couldn't see before. When I brought it in with maybe a blue frame, and then they changed it to a gold uh, gold matting and a, and a frame. And now all of a sudden, uh, I didn't notice the hue uh, of the, the sunset, or I didn't notice that there was a reflection of a flag in the water that only was brought out when I changed the frame and changed the matting. And that's what it means to reframe something. It's not Pollyanna. Uh, you're not living in a make-believe world. What you're doing is you're just changing the frame. And let me tell you why. Because frames give meaning to words and situations. See, if I think that John, my producer, does not like me, right? That's my frame, that John does not like me. Then everything he does, I'm going to see as coming at me, as attacking me, uh, uh, because he doesn't like me, to put me down, to hurt me. That's a frame. You know, we talked about marriage mantras, a, a, a book my good friend uh, uh, Mike wrote. And he said one of his marriage mantras he had in his marriage is that, that each person believed that the other person would never purposely do anything to hurt that other person. 
And that's such a powerful frame. I don't know many marriages that can say that. But a marriage mantra is like a frame you put around something. That's what a frame does. It gives it meaning. Uh, I tell you, what, uh, my leadership training, which is the most intense, powerful training out there, it's hard on me. I go from you know 6 in the morning to 2, 3 in the morning. Sometimes I put in a 24-hour day, uh, and i got to push people, got to squeeze people. i got to help them become more than they think is possible. And early on, if they come in there with a bad attitude, early on, if they come in there defensive, then they see everything I'm doing as attacking them, as putting them down, as telling them they're, they're not enough. I'm not doing any of that. But remember, no one responds to reality. What we respond to is our map of reality. And it's the frame we put around something. Uh, any experience in life depends upon how we see it. And that vision that we have or how we frame it, how we see it, affects how we take in the data. And that's why the saying makes a lot of sense if you understand this. The key to success in life is to consistently represent your experience in ways that support you in producing even greater results for yourself and for others. We're in control of what we frame and how we frame. We're in control of our beliefs. And you got to get in the driver's seat. Get out of the passenger seat and get in the driver's seat. Take control of it because left on autopilot, Remember, we only use 3 to 5% of our brain consciously. The rest is at the unconscious level. I remember one day I hopped in a taxi and we took off for the airport. We were driving in the right lane when suddenly a black car jumped out of a parking space right in front of us. My taxi driver slammed on his brakes. He skidded and just barely, barely missed the other car by just inches. The driver of the other car whipped his head around, started yelling at us, flipped off the taxi cab driver. You know, if you could, uh, you could read his lips, it was not pretty what was coming out of this guy's mouth. However, my taxi driver just smiled and waved at the guy. And I mean, this guy was, uh, looked like he was ready to kill the taxi driver. So I asked this taxi cab driver, why did you just do that? This guy almost ruined your car and sent us to the hospital. This is when my taxi driver taught me what I now call the law of the garbage truck. You see, he explained that many people are like garbage trucks. They run around full of garbage, full of frustration, full of anger, full of disappointment. As the garbage piles up, they need a place to dump it. And sometimes they'll dump it on you. Don't take it personally. Just smile. Wave, wish them well, and move on. Don't take their garbage and spread it to other people at work or at home or on the streets. The bottom line is that successful people do not let garbage trucks take over their life and their days. Life's too short to wake up in the morning with regrets. So we got to love the people who treat you right and pray for those who don't. The old saying is life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. You know, I've shared before about my childhood. And for decades, my childhood was a point of pain. I mean, by the time I was in my early 20s, if I didn't get some help, I was either going to be a murderer or a rapist. Either way, I was going to be in jail or in a casket. I had so much rage from being beaten on all the time as a young kid by a drunk father and watching my mom get beat on on a regular basis. Caused me a lot of pain. I was a rageaholic in my early 20s, even in my 30s, maybe even in the early 40s. I don't know. But I started working on that in my early 20s because, man, I, I, I was on a, on a bad path. 
And I had to go in and reframe. And can I tell you with absolute honesty, as God is my witness, today, in 2021, I am thankful for my childhood. Now, I'm not saying I'd want to go back and relive it. It wasn't fun. It was a lot of pain. And by the way, it wasn't as bad as some. I got out alive. And I got out with about without some really bad things that happened to other people happening to me. So please hear this. So you might want to say, well, how can you now be thankful for your childhood when it caused you such pain and grief? Because at some point I had a conversation with God. And I heard this, make believe or not. Hey, Black, when you're ready to take all that pain you have and use it to help tens of thousands of other people in pain, then we can do something with it. And when I made that shift, you know, for 30 years at likeitmatters.net, I've been changing lives. And very few people have had the impact on 10,000 plus individuals that I've gotten to. And can I be honest with you? Without the pain of my childhood, I wouldn't be able to walk into other people's pain because I got street cred. And so that's a reframe. And after the break, we're going to go to three specific ways that we can reframe. And I'm going to give you some examples because I really want to help you have enough knowledge that you can start doing some change. Of course, nothing's like the change that you'll get when you go to likeitmatters.net. Two and a half day training where I teach you how to work. I put you in an intense environment where I squeeze all the gunk out of you, all the garbage out of you, all the trash out of you, all the uh, metaphorically, all the pimples. I squeeze them to pop them to get the pus and get the pain out of you. And then now we can do something. Because ladies and gentlemen, our spouses deserve better. Our children deserve better. Our companies deserve better. Our God demands better. And our country needs better. I am Mr. Black, and we'll be right back. You can hear me. It's as easy as one, two, three. Just create it. And you're living it. Living life like you want it to be. talk about some sacrifice. I am Mr. Black, and you are under construction on the Like It Matters radio network, where we're teaching you how to live your life like it matters. And today, we're talking about framing anew. You know, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people might be able to do things to you, but they really can't do things in you. That isn't, that's your job. You know, 7% of communication is words. 93% is everything else. We only use 3 to 5% of our brain consciously. The rest is unconscious. That's why we need to remind ourselves to remember. We've got to be constantly working because if, if you're not aware, you're going to be taken off, the, the, off the, the narrow path and onto the wide path. We're being led astray in our current environment. Uh, If you're a believer in the God of the Bible, the spirit of the Antichrist is getting strong. I mean, America no longer resembles a Christian nation. You know, Barack Obama is correct. We were founded on Christian principles, Judeo-Christian principles. Um, All the founding fathers believed in God. Now, some were deists. We're not going to go into all that. But they believed in the God of the Bible. 
And now no longer, we don't no longer believe in the God of the Bible. We don't believe that America is basically good. We don't believe that we're a shining light on the hill. Uh, just we got people talk. like AOC. Yeah, it's just talk. And Ilian Omar, who, who come to this country, who are living off the, the company dole, who basically live off American taxpayers as they destroy this country and trash it uh, to its face. And we seem to be okay with that. And we're told all the time that there was no fraud in the election, that clearly there was. We're told all the time that, you know, you got to follow science. And they believe that science says there's 38 genders. They believe that science says that life starts uh, one week after a uh, botched abortion, that child's alive, and that mother decides to keep the child. What? There's no science there at all. There, there's no science in evolution at all. Look it up. It's not scientific at all. So all these people out there were told that if you don't believe what the world says to believe, then you don't believe in science. That's crazy. I believe in science. I believe in the God who created science. And I believe the God who created science does not have to abide by his own rules. That's why they're called miraculous, right? Miracles. It's outside the norm. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what else is outside the norm. People who hold their tongue. People who don't let other people decide what mood they're in. People that can turn the other cheek. You know, Jesus Christ was our example. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In other words, what he's saying, listen, I'm your example, watch me. Whatever I do, you do. And the Bible's pretty clear that we are to forgive people as our Father in heaven has forgiven us. And he says, if we don't forgive people as our Father in heaven has forgiven us, then he will not forgive us. It's pretty clear. That's why we got to take control. You know, we work pretty powerfully on autopilot. Three to 5% of our brain is basically used consciously. Majority of our brain, our experience on this planet is unconscious. But we can get out of the pasture seat and get in the driver's seat, and we can take control of this. And so I want to talk about the power of reframing. So let me remind you, frames give meanings to words. They change our internal representation, and it changes our experience as well. The meaning of any experience in life depends upon the frame we put around it. Nothing in the world has any meaning except the meaning we give it. How we feel about something and what we do in the world are dependent upon our perception of it. If we perceive something as a liability, that's the message we deliver to our brain. Then the brain produces states that make it the reality. If we change our point of view by looking at the situation as an opportunity, we can change the way we respond to situations in life. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's called, I call it the remain chapter. And God talks about, about being in a bad marriage, being a slave to a slave owner who's mean to you, about a relationship where you're not being treated fairly. And in each one of those situations, it's interesting, Paul says, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, to remain. To not leave and go find something better. To not leave and go be happier somewhere else. God says to do it to his glory. To think about God and honor them by holding your tongue, by turning the other cheek, by loving those who are abusing you, by being kind to those who are being nasty to you. Do you realize how hard that is? That's why Christ, when he's being crucified by his pets, being tortured by his creation. What did he say? Did he say, damn them all? 
Did he call down a legion of angels to wipe out the world? Nope. Nope. He could have. He should have. But what did he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because God made us. And God knows what Dr. Viktor Frankl found out later. That between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space is our power. It is our freedom. And I'm going to be honest with you. You could have a great marriage where you and your spouse are uh, amorous toward each other, where you make love regularly, where you're so kind and gentle, that honeymoon phase. And boy, that sure is honoring to God. But can I tell you something? Let's say if you have a spouse that's rude to you, that's mean to you, that doesn't hold their tongue, that doesn't like they did when they first said, hey, I'd like you to be my spouse. You know what? If you honor that person and you love that person anyways and you choose to do the right thing no matter what they're doing, can I be honest with you? God is far more glorified in that situation than in your happy little marriage. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because it's easy to love someone who's being nice to you. It's easy to be kind to someone who's being kind to you. The Bible says even sinners do that. But true love is to understand that hurting people hurt people. And you don't need to respond in like manner. You can actually diffuse the situation with love and empathy. And that's what's lacking today. We're so uh, driven by the spirit of offense. We're so self-righteous. That we think we deserve this and we deserve that. Let's be honest. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve hell. And the fact that some of us were chosen by God, no, by no fault of our own, by nothing we did, by not who we are, that's the ultimate privilege. And how can a true child of God be a victim of anything? You know, two opposing things cannot occupy the same space in the mind's eye. It cannot be day and night at the same time. You cannot be grateful and a victim, which are polar opposites, at the same time. You got to get that. So you got to decide, people. Are you a victim or are you a victor? Is the world doing things to you or are you doing things to yourself to become more like our God? Remember, Jesus was known as the man of sorrows, familiar with grief. He wasn't known as the man of guffaw. He wasn't known as the, the, the happy Messiah. He had no place to lay his head. There was no room at the inn for him. Haven't you watched the Christmas story? So we're in good company. Remember, if you love God, this world's going to hate you. But if you're begrudging about it and bitter about it, then the glory goes to the devil, Beelzebub, the well, prince you know of the, the power thing. of the air, the prince of this world. Yeah, that thing. You know that thing, right? And so the key to success in life is to consistently represent your experience in ways that support you in producing even greater results for yourself and others. So there are three reframing techniques I want to help you with. Number one is outcome reframing. In other words, a well-formed outcome. Now, this is important. Now, this is not what we're doing today, but there are six elements of well-formed outcome. I'll give them to you quickly. I'm not going to go into great detail. That's a different show. Number one, state your goal positively. What do you want? Uh, what is the outcome you want? Because we have a tendency to focus on what we do not want. Number two, put your goal in context. When do I want this? Where do I want this? With whom do I want this? In every relationship, in every situation, in what context might my goal not benefit me? Number three, 
Express your goal specific in specific sensory terms. In other words, you got to make it real. And real things are things we can see, things we can hear, things we can touch. So you got to do the same thing. What will it look like? What will it sound like? What will it feel like when you accomplish this? Because you're creatively visualizing on the right side of your brain. And now once you've creatively visualized it, it's now become a memory and you store it on the left side of your brain. And because our unconscious mind does not differentiate between Hollywood and reality, it has a huge impact. Number four, choose a goal that you can fulfill yourself. It must be in the realm of your control. You got to realize that. Can you take charge of the changes required? Does it depend on you? Do you need others? How can you do it? Number five, evaluate honestly the effects of achieving your goals. Are you sure you really want this? What impact will achieving this have on the rest of your life? What will happen if you do not accomplish this goal? And lastly, choose a worthwhile goal. Finally, your goal should be worthwhile to you. It doesn't matter if it is to others or not. You need to identify the positive consequence of your outcome goal. You may not usually think in this depth when setting day-to-day goals. When you aim at positive, worthwhile targets, your, quote, system naturally motivates you to achieve your goal and overcome the obstacles on the way. In other words, ask yourself these questions. How will my life differ? What will I get by achieving this goal? What's the payoff? What further goal does it take me towards and for what purpose? That's how you do outcome reframing. It must be borne in mind that the tragedy of life doesn't lie in not reaching your goal. The tragedy lies in having no goals to reach. It isn't a calamity to die with dreams unfulfilled, but it is a calamity not to dream. It is not a disaster to be unable to capture your ideal, but it is a disaster to have no ideal to capture. It is not a disgrace not to reach for the stars, but it is a disgrace to have no stars to reach for. Not failure, but low aim is sin. And that's by Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays. I am black, and we'll be right back. Things look bad. It looks like you're not going to make it. And you gotta get mean. I mean plumb mad dog mean. Because if you lose your head and you give up, then you neither live nor win. That's just the way it is. Amen, amen. I am Mr. Black, and you are under construction on the Like It Matters radio network. In other words, live in life like it matters. And you know, we all got one life to live. And there is no greater cause than to spend yourself in a worthy cause. And can I tell you what that worthy cause is? That worthy cause is your life. And today we're talking about the battle zone of the mind. The battle zone of the mind. Boy, we got so many things tripping us up. We got so many lies out there. Uh, There's something called truth therapy where you got to go inside and pay attention to your self-talk and you identify the lies and replace them with the truth. You identify the lies and replace them with the truth. And that's what we do on this radio show. That's what we do on our uh, bi-weekly podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just search Living Life Like It Matters. I got a Monday and Thursday podcast that comes out. Uh, we do wayofwarrior.blog where I give you a, a daily inspiration from the Word of God. 
so this is what we do. I counsel, I coach, and next weekend I will be in Leadership Awakening class, a two-and-a-half-day experience that will change your life forever. Go to likeitmatters.net to read about it. So we're talking about reframing. The first one was outcome reframing, and we talked about well-formed goals. I covered that in the last break. Uh, life events, identifying memories that cause an unresourceful state and replace with new memories to cause a resourceful state. Remember I talked about earlier about my childhood, that for so long, for three decades plus, it was a source of contention and pain, and now it's a source of pride. Uh, that I am thankful for my childhood. Again, would not want to go back and live through it again. And, you know, I hold no grudge against my dad. My dad's already stood in the presence of God. Uh, and so, you know, God says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. I will repay. We're supposed to leave room for God to be God. Our job is to forgive. No matter what someone's done to us, we'll forgive. Why? Because we are given the example by Jesus Christ as he was crucified on the shameless death on the cross. Shameful, I should say. Shameful death on the cross. And what was his words to the world? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Which brings us to the last piece we're going to cover today. It's called simple reframing, changing negative statements into action statements. And I got this right off of um, verywellmind.com, using cognitive reframing for mental health. It says here, reframing is a technique used in therapy to help create a different way of looking at a situation, person, or relationship by changing its meaning. Also referred to as cognitive reframing, it's a strategy therapists often use to help clients look at situations from a slightly different perspective. This is one of the tools I use when I help counsel people. When I help counsel with people with trauma and drama, people who were raped or molested or abused, People who all their life have been told they're not enough, they're not good enough, not pretty enough, not rich enough, not black enough, not white enough, not this enough, not that enough. You know, we live in a world where a lot of people are tired of not being enough. And that's why you see hurting people hurt people. Uh, You can ban all the guns you want, but hurting people will find ways to hurt other people. So you don't need to start banning cars and banning guns and banning knives and and banning uh, anti-freaks because all those things are used to kill people. What we got to start dealing with is the pain that's in people. And the essential idea behind reframing is that a person's point of view depends on the frame it is viewed in. When the frame is shifted, the meaning changes and thinking and behavior often change along with it. So let me give you a couple specific examples from this article by Amy Morham, which is LCSW, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. That's what it means. Uh, This was uh, in uh, 2019. She wrote it. Uh, It was on the verywellmind.com. So, for examples, in a family therapy session, Carla complains bitterly that her mother is overly involved in her life, constantly nagging her about what she should be doing. In attempting to shift Carla's negative view of her mother, the therapist offers this reframe. Isn't it loving of your mother to teach you ways to take care of yourself so you'll be prepared to live on your own without her? Again, it's having them take a different look at it. You know, in NLP, is something we call perceptual positions. There are three perceptual positions. There's only three ways to see any situation. First position is self through your own eyes. Second position is others, what we call empathy, the ability to walk a mile in someone else's moccasins. And third position is overview. Now, if you get stuck in first position, it's all about you, your way or the highway, you're right and everybody else is wrong. We call that ego. If you get stuck in second position, that everybody else is right and you're wrong, we call that a sucker. 
But and if you get caught in third position, stuck in third position over you, that means you're kind of looking at things like you're watching a video without the emotional involvement. And then you become dissociated. You've got to be able to move in and out of all three positions. And each position gives you more data. And it just allows you to make better decisions. It allows you to think something more clearly. I have this uh, process, a nine-step process called Thought and Emotion Journal where we take a situation that was terrible. A lot of people have trauma connected to interactions with people. And so what I do is I have you recreate this experience on paper and go through a nine-step process. And the process is about allowing you to see different pieces that you missed the first time when you went through it. And by the time you go through this nine-step process, you feel totally different about that experience. It's like it's a totally different take on it. It doesn't have the same emotional connection. And there's a lot of embedded reframing inside that process. This is why I can do content-free therapy using my master's in neurolinguistic programming, or NLP. So here's another example. A teen in individual therapy. Let's say this teen is struggling to accept the limitations of having a chronic illness. The therapist attempts to reframe how the teen views his or her illness by saying, can you think of your illness as a built-in reminder to take care of your health throughout your life? How about this one? A teen is upset she didn't make the basketball team. The therapist asks her what positive things could come from not making the team. The team is able to say she will have more free time uh, with enough practice. She might be able to make the team next year. She can be a better student. She can spend more time in relations. You see, uh, it's dealing with the situation. You can't change the data. But what you can change is your perception. A boy says his mother has ruined his life by taking away his smartphone privileges because he was caught texting while driving. A therapist talks about the dangers of texting while driving and the reasons his parents may want to teach him not to do that. Eventually, he's able to see his mother's actions weren't meant to ruin his life like he thought, but instead were meant to save his life. That's a reframe. See, reframing is a way of changing the way you look at something and thus changing your experience of it. It can turn a stressful event into an either major trauma or a challenge to be bravely overcome. Or it can depict a really bad day as a mildly low point in overall wonderful life or it can see a negative event as a learning event. So you got to figure this out. Reframing affects our stress. Remember, the body releases 63 known chemicals, and those chemicals make us feel. And they're released based on three things. What we're thinking about is the number one thing. I'm not going into the other two right now. But we got to realize the power of our thoughts. To think is to create. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's shown that why do you think there's so many um, service animals? Because when someone has cancer or they're recovering from massive surgery or whatever it is, having an animal around, a pet around, calms them down, gives them something to love. And it's proven that that will help them recover better. It's proven that someone who had a massive surgery, a massive medical condition, if they have someone in their life who cares about them, who loves them, who nurtures them, who's helping take care of them, it allows them to heal better. The power of our mind is phenomenal, and I teach that in our training. So what? how reframing works, number one, it learn about thinking patterns. It allows us to educate ourselves in some of these negative thinking patterns. Some people don't know how negative they are because we're not paying attention to the voice in our head. 
It allows us to notice our thoughts because a lot of people aren't even aware of their thoughts. It allows us to challenge our thoughts because a lot of times uh, there's a lot of stinking thinking going on. It's not true. It's not helpful. It's not proper. And yet we got to challenge those thoughts. That's what truth therapy is about. Identify the lie, replace with the truth. And it allows us to replace our thoughts with more positive thoughts. And that helps our body release more positive chemicals. This is our charge. We can do this. No one else can make you feel anything. I'm going to tell you this right now. You have to be a, a partner in it. Between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space is our power. It is our freedom. Remember, it does not really matter what happens to us in life. What matters most is what happens in us in life. And as the captain of your ship, you're the one behind the wheel. It is your responsibility to make sure that you are in the right state of mind at the right time for the right reason, direct to the right person, and in the right way. You are under construction on the Like It Matters radio network. I am Mr. Black, helping you become more hopeful about your future, reminding you when you live your life like it matters. It does. My mind is a raging torrent flooded with rivulets of thought cascading into a waterfall of creative alternatives. 